You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on tonight's programme, we'll be hearing from master mixologist and drinks consultant Oshin Davis about a very exciting gin and tonic club that's starting in Dublin this Thursday. Karen O'Donoghue, Head of Community Development with GIY, has news about a collaboration between nine schools in Cork and Ballymaloo Cookery School. And finally, at the end of the programme, we'll be talking to Barry Walsh about a rare apple ice wine that's been launched onto the market. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with me here at the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. So to start the show off tonight, we are turning to my favourite tipple. There's a new club starting up this Thursday celebrating the gin and tonic. And Oshin Davis joins us now to share the joy. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Oshin, you're very welcome to the programme. You have brought something to Dublin, which I think is going to be loved by one and all. And that's a gin and tonic <laughs> club. Tell us about it. Well, thanks for me. I appreciate it. Uh, yes, indeed, we're kicking off uh, in two days' time uh, on Thursday, the 22nd of February, and it's taking place in the Dublin Bar Academy. Uh, the Dublin Bar Academy is just there in Smithfield in, in, on King Street in Dublin, and it's a fantastic spot. It's, it's, it was like the epicenter uh, for education on all things liquid. They have, you know, bartender training courses there. They have beer tasting nights, wine tasting, coffee tasting. So it seemed like a natural home for us to kick off our monthly residency for the Poachers Gin and Tonic Club. What that entails is uh, every month we are going to be um, pairing our Irish premium tonic waters, Poachers Tonic Water, with various gins from all around the world and indeed from all around Ireland. You are a master mixologist and you're a drinks consultant. So a few years ago you developed the this premium Irish tonic water, which is called Poachers. Why did you decide that there was a gap in the market for a product like that? Yeah, we launched the Ballymena Lit Fest in May of 2016. Uh, we have two tonic waters out now and a ginger ale, and we're, we're working on some new products which will be out, out in a wee bit in a couple of months or so. And what happened was I ran uh, a small festival in 2015 called the Dublin Gin and Tonic Festival, uh, and we worked with uh, three or four different gins from, from around Ireland. And we were trying to, I suppose, uh, celebrate gins made in Ireland. Gins itself, you see, is, is, is a funny spirit in that it is very much dependent on tonic water because 90% of gin serves are paired with tonic water. The rest of them are, are, are made into cocktails. So most spirits wouldn't uh, be so dependent on, on, on a particular mixture like that. So when we ran the Gin and Tonic Festival, we, we realized actually there's a whole lot of other Irish gins that were either about to come on the market or, or had just arrived and there was huge interest from the public in looking at these Irish gins. And then I felt then that there was, there was a piece missing in the picture because they're all being, um, you know, they're all taking these, these Irish gins but mixing them with tonic waters from, from, from different parts of the world. And I figured, you know, if, if we could look at doing something that was interesting, we could perhaps um, provide the, the Irish versions for so many of these premium tonic waters that are coming out. So what we did was we... Um, we set out trying to create recipes that contained Irish ingredients. So 
our citrus tonic water, for instance, contains Irish rosemary, as well as some Florida orange to give it a nice zesty sweetness. And then our uh, classic tonic water has Irish thyme in it. So this is quite unique because no one's ever done that in Ireland before. People have made tonic waters in Ireland before, but they've never made them with Irish ingredients. And that's what we're all about. I have come across people that always thought they didn't like gin until recently. And they've discovered that it was actually the tonic water that they were putting with the gin that they didn't like. They do like gin with other different types of tonic water. Is this something that you would be coming across on a regular basis? Absolutely. I mean, uh, to begin with, I would say there's a gin out there for everyone. I mean, so, you know, if you if you just point blank don't like the taste of juniper, then fair enough. You're probably not going to be a gin fan. I, I perhaps look at something like whiskey or rum. But um, a lot of the people people have realised that actual fact it's not necessarily the gin that the, that they're being turned off. It's the tonic water because a lot of tonic waters that are out in the market contain synthetic ingredients. They have synthetic sweetened, such as saccharin and aspartame. Um, you know, they're, they're, people could very well argue that they're, uh, um, negative, uh, either have negative health impact with those types of ingredients in, in the liquid. But this, for us, really, it was about, you know, trying to create tonic waters that have natural ingredients, natural sugars, natural flavors, you know. Unfortunately, a lot of the tonic waters, when they have something synthetic, they just don't taste nice. It's as simple as that. You know? um, saccharin has, uh, itself as an ingredient coats the palate and um, doesn't let go. It's, it, it's, it's quite uh, off-putting. So that was one ingredient that we didn't want to use. you know. And we found that once we started developing our recipes, that the more natural that our recipes were, the better they were. you know. And it, it, you could actually you know, uh, convert people over, no problem. And you worked with a perfumer to actually develop the recipe. That's right, yeah. So what we do is we work with the Garden of Eden in County Meath, and they us with large quantities of, of rosemary and large quantities of thyme. And they get picked that morning. We need them to be as fresh as they can possibly be. Picked that morning and shipped that straight to the UK. In the UK, then they are uh, the herbs are perfume extracted. So that means what happens is it's a combination of using water and alcohol to extract the very essence of the herbs themselves. So then we have a highly potent, highly concentrated liquid uh, that will contain our Irish rosemary and another one that will contain our Irish thyme, and that's how we get our key Irish ingredients in Bartonic orders. So what we wanted to do was, you know, I suppose explore different types of genes with our tonics on a regular basis. And I talked to the, our good friends there in the Dublin Bar Academy, and they were seen to be well up for it. So, we, you know, in, on this week now we're kicking it off. We have four different gins that we're working with. So we're look, as, you know, as we're saying to everybody, we're looking towards England and Germany. We're mixing iconic waters with Beef Feeder, then Beef Feeder 24, uh, Plymouth Gin, and then Monkey 47, exceptionally nice gin from Germany, from the Black Forest Mountains. So what we're going to do is we're going to um, we're going to have the ambassador for those gins over, the lady by the name of Kira Farrell. She's excellent. She works on the country, uh, evangelizing and, and educating about the gins. So she'll be there on, on the night telling everyone about the gins. I'll be there myself and telling everyone about the tonic waters and how they can be best paired with these particular gins. And we'll serve them all up and have a bit of crack. 
I think it's very interesting, the four gins that you've chosen there and obviously to have the England versus Germany. The Monkey 47, I haven't actually tasted it, but I do know it's probably one of the most expensive gins out there. It's probably the most expensive, I'd say, yes, indeed. Um, and, you know, with good reason. They, have, they, they, they use an awful lot of wild botanicals. Uh, they have they they are very specific with, with other botanicals that they they bring in. Some of them might be even from like a single estate uh, botanical suppliers. Uh, very very high quality, but exceptionally well distilled, uh, and happens to pair very nicely with our citrusonic water. Is there forty seven ingredients in Monkey Forty Seven? Is that where the number comes from? Well, uh, that and and the fact that. Um, uh, of where it's located, yes, indeed. So it's 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 down to to its location, you know. So uh, it's, it's a My I would say though that my favorite out of those four is probably the Beef Eater Twenty Four, uh, because it's 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 a it's a, a relatively new expression of Beef Eater that incorporates um, Japanese teas, beautifully beautifully distilled, and in fact it's distilled by an Irishman. Uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Sir Desmond Payne. He's now recently been knighted. He's been the stand in for 50 years. And he's originally from Cork. It would be Myrtle Allen's nephew. Myrtle Allen is the uh, founder of Ballymaloo. And um, Desmond Payne is her nephew. There's always a connection back to Ballymaloo <laughs> in some shape or form. Yeah, there's always a connection to him. Have you found that the the English gins have suffered a bit of a setback because of the number of Irish gins and the good quality Irish gins coming out of our native land? Yes, indeed. Um, some of the some of the cheaper gins that that are that are uh, in the market from from abroad are difficult for the Irish producers to compete with, you know, on a price basis because they can they can produce at such high volume that they can. Therefore, in, uh, uh, have a, a, a cheaper price point. The Irish producers um, have smaller stills and operations, so they have to, uh, as a result, you know, maybe charge a little bit more. But in the premium end of uh, the market, the Irish gins are absolutely excelling in Ireland. These are actually really starting to make great waves abroad as well. You know, you'll, you'll often see kind of lot gin in uh, lots of different bars all around London. Uh, Dingle gin is widely available now in America, so is gunpowder. Um, and indeed, our, even ourselves now, we've started shipping abroad. We've got uh, some pallets on their way to Australia. We're looking at uh, some of the Nordic countries now. And we actually do very well over in the UK ourselves too. So it's uh, not just in Ireland that the, that the Irish gins are doing well and, and the tonics, it's, it's abroad as well. I'd love to put you on the spot now and ask you what your favourite Irish gin is, but I don't know if you'd answer it or not. <laughs> well, um, funnily enough, my, my favourite Irish gin is the um, Blackwater Juniper Cask Beach Gin. It is, uh, it's from the Blackwater Distillery down in Waterford, and it's just excellent distillers. But what they've done is they created a cask made from juniper wood, which I can tell you is an extremely difficult uh, project. It was, it was, you know, juniper does not lend itself very well to being made into a, a barrel. But we somehow did it with Serbian uh, juniper casks. It's a Serbian juniper wood, I'm told. And they so they arrested in that. So it has kind of a golden color, um, and it's a fantastic gin. But I actually don't even mix it with tonic water. I I mix it with uh, some vermouth to make a very nice martini. So the irony is, yes, my, that's my favorite gin. But 
I don't even use it in a tug war. I, I just make it into a martini. <laughs> yeah, you are a bit of an expert now whenever it comes to cocktails and mixing up the drinks there because you won a very impressive competition back in 2011. Yeah, well, the competition was back here in Ireland. Uh, I, I won the national final for um, Bar 5 Charge and um, uh, Beverage Alcohol Resource, Bar Smarts. And the competition was a national final, and I won that. But the prize was to go over to New York and attend a five-day intensive training module uh, with some of the best uh, uh, bar tenders and um, cocktail creators on the planet. Uh, and you learn an awful lot about cocktails, and you learn an awful lot about the spirits that go into them. And that was a, a game-changer for me. It, that level of education and that immersion uh, into such a, a, a high-performance environment uh, really just made me up my game. And were you working in a bar at that stage? Indeed, I was uh, I was running the Sugar Club in Easton Street in Dublin. And um, we had, from the, very, from the very start, when it opened in 1999, I was there from the get-go. I set it up. Uh, um, so we had that. Uh, we had a, a cocktail program from the start. And um, even when, when, in fact, when we opened, everyone said, we're insane to even consummate cocktails, but I determined to make them work because I'd kind of fallen in love with drinking them anyway over in San Francisco a year prior to that and uh, decided to make cocktails a, a solid part of the offering. And to this day, they are actually, which is great to see. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we are spoiled for choice now whenever we go out between the gin, the cocktails, the vodka, the whiskies, all the different array of drinks that's out there. Whereas the older generations, everybody kind of had their drink that they drank when they went out for a night and they stuck to it. But that has very much developed and moved on now because of the, the wide choice that we have. Yes, indeed, indeed. We are spoiled for commission, dead right? So, I mean, uh, the way it works is that in, in, in Ireland, you see, What's happened is that a lot of distilleries have uh, have opened with the intention of creating whiskey. Um, but, you know, if you want to create a whiskey, you'll have to, you know, it takes about a year or so for you to get your recipe right, and then you have to let it sit for, 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 for three years. So that means you've got a bit of a, 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 a gap to fill in terms of where, where your money's going to come from, you know? And um, a lot of these distilleries that have opened up, they have... Um, you know, they, they've started examining how they can make some clear spirits. And gin would be, I suppose, the, the hottest clear spirit of the, of, of the moment. And what's actually interesting with gins is that, you know, sinners themselves are very much celebrated what they can find in their uh, locality and put them into their liquids. So, for instance, gunpowder gin, they would uh, have a meadow sweet, some wild flower. That goes into their gin and down in Dingle, and they would use things like heather. Then close to my own doorstep, in fact, very close to my doorstep, there is um, Dublin City Gin, and they use local rhubarb that's grown on an allotment uh, right here in Dublin 8. So that's actually very interesting because they're really putting some of their terroir into the liquid, you know. And it is great to see such innovation coming out of Ireland. Um, those businesses are to be congratulated for... I agree, yes, indeed for responding to a demand that's there and, you know, just always coming out with something different. And I think from your own perspective then, to come up with the tonic, because nobody had really thought, well, let's do an Irish tonic to go with all these Irish gins. There's great interest, you know, and the bars have been very receptive. We have some, some fantastic bars around the country that are really trying to celebrate Irish products wherever they can. And 
you know, 10 years ago, um, people wouldn't have even considered, you know, where their steak came from, you know, when they went into a restaurant. Now, if they went into a restaurant and they didn't have an Irish steak, uh, you know, they'd be holy good murder, you know. Uh, now we're actually getting to a point where we're, we're making those same choices with our with our drinks. You know, is the beer Irish? Is the, is the cider Irish? Is the whiskey Irish? Is the gin Irish? I think now we can say, you know, we can... We could do the same now with our tonic waters. We've actually we've got a tonic well, which we're very happy with. We made it to pair with Irish whiskey, and it contains um, like Irish apples from County Kilkenny. So the apples is paired very nicely with the with the ginger itself, and it the, uh, has a lovely pairing with looks of Jamison and other blended Irish whiskies. So. Um, we're, we're, we're looking at other pairs too. Fantastic. Well, you must keep us posted about those. In the meantime, you have the Poachers Gin and Tonic Club this Thursday, the 22nd of February. If people want to, to get all the details, do you have a web address or a Facebook page? Yeah, it's up, it's up on our Facebook, which is uh, facebook.com uh, Poachers Well. And it's on the Bar Academy website, which is DublinBarAcademy.com. That's where they can get the tickets. Lovely. So nice to talk to you, Oshin, and best of luck on Thursday. Thanks, Mel. Take care. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Oisín Davis was sharing details about the new Dublin Poachers Gin and Tonic Club that's meeting for the first time this Thursday. And if you missed that and you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, we'll be talking to Barry Walsh about a rare apple ice wine that's been launched onto the market. But before that, it's time to welcome Karen O'Donoghue to the programme. Karen is the Head of Community Development with GIY and she has news about a wonderful collaboration between some schools in Cork and Ballymaloo Cookery School. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen, you're very welcome to the programme this evening and you're going to tell us about a collaboration with Ballymaloo Cookery School. I am, Sharon. Thanks a million for the invitation to come and talk about it. So, yes, we're delighted, um, as ever, to work with Jarena and Ballymaloo Cookery School. Um, it's a really exciting project that will see us support nine primary schools in the East Cork area to start up or, in some cases, help them develop um, a school garden, an edible school garden. So, obviously, um, a really strong partner, <laughs> the country school coming behind us on this. And it's great to be, to be working with so many of the pupils and the staff um, in those nine schools. The, the partnership is part of GIY's uh, Bigger Growth Circle uh, programme. And that's a program whereby we work with different organisations, large and small, to help them have um, really genuine social impact in their local area. So obviously we work with a wide range of partners. We have huge national campaigns across Ireland and the UK. So the Growth Circle is a great way for smaller organisations to work with GIY on activities that still very much have food growing at their heart, but we can do it 
like we're doing with um, with Alamaloo, specifically to East Cork, or we can move anywhere around the country with us. And it's a program that just includes everything from the school gardens, um, but also helping cottage markets, community-led markets uh, set up in rural and urban uh, locations, and um, even social and therapeutic horticulture programs. Um, that's something you might have a real affinity to. So yeah, all in all, it's a fantastic opportunity and we, we can't wait to get growing. Just remind us about what GIY does exactly and what its ethos is all about. <laughs> we do a lot. Um, you probably see us popping up in all sorts of places on in media and screen and at different talks and whatnot. And the reason behind that is our key message is that everybody can grow some food somewhere and that could be at home, at work, at school and in their community. And the key message around that plan is the food cycle as is, is uh, frankly a bit of a disaster. It is having serious health implications for both people and the planet. Um, in Ireland alone we import 90% of our fruit and veg and I think it's at least 60% of that unnecessarily so. Apples would be a fantastic example. So we're heavily dependent on important foods that we can grow here. That food comes from very far away in some instances, so the air miles um, are increasing, and they will more oftentimes than not have been sprayed with a whole variety of chemicals wrapped in various forms of plastic to sit on a shelf um, until we buy them for too little money, take them home and then throw them in the bin because we forgot to eat them and we don't have any value on it. So as you can see, having easy access to food when we want it, whenever we want it, um, instead of recognising the value and the importance of of eating and growing and cooking seasonal foods and local foods, um, the world has gone, has gone really sick. By having projects that involve schools, that's an ideal way of getting the children when they're young and getting them to have a better insight and understanding into the value of the food. Exactly. So evidence shows that when you introduce um, good foods, you know, good fruits and vegetables to children at a really young age, not only are you at least bringing it into their very consciousness, you know, so it's become something that's normal. But again, you're starting to help them as they're developing their taste buds, but they're also developing really key associations with food and eating behaviours. So, so much of, of um, so many children today and, and so much of family life or social eating is fast and high-paced, you know, a huge rise on heavily processed food, high in fat and sugar. Excuse me, and and with children and their their carers or their parents or their grannies or probably less of their grandparents, but you know those family units and, and people in general not having a real clue where food comes from, and not really having a very strong connection with it. So you're dead right. The sooner we can get in to talk to these wonderful minds as they're developing um, their tastes and their passions and their interests. And teach them, we teach them, actually, is probably a better way of putting it. That, you know what? Go out and get dirty. Like, come home and we'll keep up. Um, parents around the country are probably shouting at me. But, you know, we want them to be outdoors and enjoying that and feeling a connection with the soil. And then learning that, you know what? You can do this. And give them that sense of satisfaction that comes from, from growing something from a seed to something that they can harvest and have that amazing sense of well-being 
that comes from not just that process. Never mind the health benefits that go with actually eating it. So yes, we need to get in and be talking to them. But at the same time, everybody has a responsibility. So we want the young children to take that message home and for them to inspire and excite um, their parents. So that that affects change because obviously the kids are limited in terms of the school choices, the, the parents or whoever do in, in the weekly shop. And also the schools have a responsibility to despite challenges around budgets and, and other curriculum commitments, you know, to let's get food back into the heart of the curriculum. And then communities where these children live and, and where everybody works and plays, let's get food going back in the heart of communities too. Let's stop being so dependent and over-reliant on, on huge supermarkets um, and let's see what we can produce locally. Ballymaloo Cookery School has become involved in this because they are a member of the Grow Circle and that's something that the GIY founder Michael Kelly has developed. Um, tell us about that. It, it's a funding model of social enterprise. Exactly. So Grow Circle started um, a couple of years ago as part of our really successful fundraising strategy for Grow HQ. So Grow HQ is our National Food Education Centre based in Waterford. Um, a beautiful 65-seater cafe on three acres. So you have to come down and have a dinner or a lunch with us sometime, Darren. I'd love it. And, yeah. Um, yeah, gladly. And it's, it's really beautiful, but obviously we have to raise a significant amount of money to, to build it. So originally Grow Circle came about whereby 20 amazing companies came on board really quickly with an invitation to invest um, some money over a two or three year period. And in return for that, we worked closely with their employees around health and well-being. And obviously, they also had the, the really positive, strong association of being a partner with GIY and, and Grow HQ. So naturally, there's a, a range of you know, PR, HR and, and CSR activities. So we kind of put that to bed once Grow HQ doors were open. But of course, we always are looking for ways to... Um, further our food empathy message and our activity and we want to build on to Grow HQ so we decided to relaunch Grow Circle um, but it has a, a slightly different focus in that um, again companies are still invited to work and partner with us over a two year period and again we can and would love to work with them on an employee wellbeing program whether it's through workshops or an Aldesco growing challenge or whatever but it's also to recognise that, you know, the people who work for these organisations, um, they themselves might be associated with a community group that would love some support around food growing. Or perhaps for some reason they are really supportive of or want to support um, a local drug rehabilitation centre or a direct provision centre. There's something that's literally on their doorstep. And so now to Grow Circle, we will help them identify um, a, a community partner to work with and then clearly, like we're doing with Madame Lou in, in East Cork, deliver the programme of activity. So there's a broader, oh, I hate to use the word menu, but hey, it is a food programme, so let's definitely use the word menu. There's a broader menu of um, activities that the organisation can partner with us on to, to deliver real social impact. There must okay. be lots of companies out there and schools out there that would love to come together to replicate the collaboration that Ballymaloo has with these schools. 
Yes, I mean, I would, I would really very much hope so. And, and again, bear in mind that the people working for these companies probably have kids in the schools and who are facing the challenge of their children being increasingly disconnected from food or who are pulling their hair out wondering how to get their kids to eat vegetables, which is imperative for their you know, long-term physical and, and mental health. So I think if we, like, absolutely, Sharon, this is, there's a commercial decision behind partnering with DIY through Growth Circle, um, absolutely, and that's fine. The point is that it's a positive social commercial decision. So it's investing money in a, a well-established social enterprise as GIY, but it's also turning around to its employees and saying, you know what, we care about what you do and who you are outside of these four walls, beyond the nine to five, or the, whatever the working hours are. And actually, what are you involved in? Or maybe, you know, we have, or let's introduce a staff volunteering policy where we can get everybody out for a day a year to do some amazing transformational work in their in their local area. So, yes, um, I think the intention is there. I think increasingly so. Um, for sure, the newer generation of workers um, coming on board, they are, they are expecting employers to be actively involved in corporate social responsibility programs, both on-site and outside the walls of the of the office or the building or the factory or the whatever. So yeah, I really hope they're out there. And and, and again, I appreciate that, you know, our partnership with Salomon um Cookery School and the Snow Food Educational Project, you know, in a way it's kinda of obvious. Like that's a perfect match. We are going to rock into these schools to introduce the school gardens and help the children grow the food and then they will take that food up to the cookery school to learn how to cook it and then together um, and again this is another another amazing DIY program called Eat Together you know that we'd love to work with them on is about social eating whereby the children actually sit down with proper forks and knives and a jug of water and they're served really good nutritious food and they enjoy it together even if they don't like the Brussels sprouts or the broccoli or the shepherd's pie or the carrot salad or whatever it is like at least they're actually sitting down to mindfully, consciously eat it or not, as the case may be. So I guess what I'm saying is that's an obvious partnership, but it's very, very powerful. But you don't have to be involved in food to work with DIY for food empathy, because everybody needs food. Everybody needs to do more around making people more educated about it, more inspired about it encouraging people to value it more, value it as huge for themselves, to be fit for purpose. You know, we, we need to look at, at it um, in, much, in a much different way. So, yeah, it would just be wonderful to work with a really broad range of companies on on a true growth circle on, on something like what we're doing with the cookery team. Well, Jarena Allen is, of course, synonymous with Ballymaloo and you couldn't have a better figurehead there because she's always banging that drum about growing your own and getting children involved and, and eating freshly produced vegetables, fruit yeah. and yeah. He- eggs from hens, all of that. Yeah, I mean, she like what an advocate. I mean, I don't mind telling you, I actually had a bit of a starstruck moment yesterday standing beside her for the photo shoot um, because she is amazing and she is clear in her purpose 
and she is, uh, you know, an incredibly articulate woman who will not stop. You know, this is her vocation and her passion. And the brilliant thing is, so is Michael Kelly, so am I, so is everybody else at GIY at Grow HQ. So now there's more people, start, you know, saying the same thing with a stronger, louder voice. And, and it will affect change. Like, for sure, if we did nothing else, Karen, there were children that we spoke to in that school yesterday who had, you know, Drina and I there actively talking to them about food, celebrating their interest in it. You know, just acknowledging the fact that they were great to be outdoors, even though it was a bit cold. So, I mean, obviously the, the scale and the scope and the ambition for the project is much bigger than that. But like already, change is happening. They're thinking about food a little bit more today than they were yesterday. And we just have to keep doing that. So yes, it's an amazing opportunity um, for both GIY and Fallon Cookery School. And you know what, we're singing not just from the same hymn sheet now, but we're singing in harmony. A fantastic initiative. And if people want to find out more about it, where should they go? So please encourage everybody to come. Um, I'd love to invite you all to come and visit our website, GIY.ie. So there you will find all the information about GIY and everything that we're, we're doing um, with Ballamaloo Cookery School, which is a growth circle, um, but also all the other huge campaigns that we, we work. If you'd like to get involved, my contact details are on the website, as are um, my good friend, um, Ursula. So you can give us an email or a phone call. Um, as ever, keep an eye on us on, on Twitter and on Facebook, and we're always talking about the different things that we're doing. And then I've got to give one last shameless plug. If you really want to see us in action, then um, we're really excited about our new TV program called Grow, Cook, Eat, which is going to broadcast on the 14th of March. We will keep an eye out for the program. Lovely to talk to you, Karen. Thanks so much for your time. Not at all. Be well. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Karen O'Donoghue, Head of Community Development with GIY, had news about a wonderful collaboration between some schools in Cork and Ballymaloo Cookery School. And earlier in the programme, mixologist and drinks consultant Oshin Davis told us about the inaugural meeting of the Dublin Poachers Gin and Tonic Club. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Now it's time for the final interview of this evening and it's with Barry Walsh. Barry is the booze geek with Kilahora Orchard in Cork. Yes, that is a title. And earlier today I spoke to him by phone and I asked him to tell us all about it. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Kilahora um, is the area. It's just outside Cork. It's a place called Lone Town. It's, um, it's only about 10-15 minutes from Cork City. Um, south-facing slopes just on the uh, the Atlantic. Um, we're kind of sheltered from the southwesterlies, which is good. So um, we pretty much get the sun and get the uh, the south without the um, without the the wind. 
you're growing apples, 108 varieties of apples, in fact, pears and wild crab apples. So the weather conditions, the soil, that all affects the flavours that come through in those actual products. Oh, massively, and it, just even on a, on, a, on a simple fundamental level, um, it's, our growing season is about three weeks longer uh, because of that south-facing aspect, and, it, and it's, it's also slightly elevated, so it's, um, it, it, it goes up to the best part of about 60, 70 metres, so it's almost like terraced slopes. Um, there was uh, another side of grow up the country, David Llewellyn had, had uh, spotted pretty much our site as being one of the best places in the country to grow grapes. So we haven't gone that that road and probably won't. But from a simply from an apple point of view, like say we've planted some varieties um, that uh, are grown elsewhere in, in the country. Most of the stuff isn't grown anywhere else. But some of the what, what you call workhorses in the cider world, like Davinets or Michelin, we our Davinets will ripen typically three weeks earlier, um, and the sugar content of them, which is, uh, we measured the SG, which essentially is, it defines your alcohol content, content that um, is typically a couple of points higher, which basically means that the sun has ripened it more, it's turned the starches to sugar. Uh, that's one aspect of, uh, of the, the, our, our location. Another very important aspect of it is the level of nutrients and the level of fertilizers that's actually used in the orchard. And that's specific to the, the, the farm um, rather than the location and that it was kind of an old farm that kind of was kind of run down hadn't really been farmed for about 15 years before it was bought and even before then it was uh, it was kind of getting minimal fertilizer it was just being left all the hedgerows are you know have been there for years undisturbed and we have lots of lots of wild mushrooms growing uh, which is an indication that the ground hasn't really been disturbed now, the reason that's important is a low nutrient um, base for, for a tree will essentially mean that it ferments a lot slower. Uh, now, from a commercial, a purely commercial point of view, that is not a good idea. But from a, a taste point of view and from a quality point of view, which is kind of our goal, it is because a slow ferment means that you're, it's less, um, you kind of drive off less to of the aromatics and less to the flavors, and it just tips away nicely, and you, you just get so much more complexity from that lack of fertilizers and we're, we're trying to maintain that just I suppose to, to put a figure on a uh, context how, how some might relate like say our, our orchard might do the seven eight nine tons an acre depending on how we've planted it a commercial orchard would be targeting about 22 to 27 tons an acre so you're getting a lot more apples but those apples are fed with fertilizers which isn't a bad thing I mean don't get me wrong it doesn't make the apples toxic or anything by any means. It just basically means that the level of flavor that is in those apples is markedly different from the level of flavor that's in ours. Um, and, you know, that's, that's it's a trade-off. You mentioned growing grapes there, and that's not something that you plan to do. However, you do make a rare apple ice wine, and that's how you've come to my attention of late because there's been a lot of chat about that on social media. Tell us a bit about that product. Yeah, I mean that's that's um, that's an interesting evolution of, of, of an idea and of what we wanted to do um, with with our little projects. Which is essentially it's a hobby that's gotten wildly out of hand, and um, we've uh, fortunately um, found what could be um, a, a genuine, sustainable, and long-term business from something that we both got into um, uh, just as a as a, as a by the way, like I suppose a little bit of context. 
before we get into the eighth day. So um, they, the land is owned by my cousin, uh, Dave Watson, and um, he had a notion when he got the land that mm, I'd like to do something. And Dave's background is, uh, is, is, is shy and similar to myself. Um, and as an avid fan of horticulture trees and botany and uh, and, and so on, so they would be our, our tree geek. Um, so he had this notion, and at the time I was making um, beer and dabbling with elderflower wine and, and champagne and so on and so forth. Um, I'm originally a process engineer myself. And um, so Dave had this notion, said, look, if I plant some apple trees, do you reckon you want to make some booze out of it? And I said, yeah, sure, why not? So this was about eight years ago. Um, and uh, so Dave selected this wildly... Uh, you know, uh, this, this massive range of apples from France, from England, from um, Austria. We've recently got some excellent pear varieties. And um, uh, so they planted and we were dabbling and trying to wait for apples to grow and, you know, doing all these sort of experiments. And so as it progressed, we kind of realized this is something special. We've got a unique blend of, of apples that no one else has. We've got a southerly aspect that no one else has. We've got an orchard that existed essentially for 200 years. And I don't know if you've seen any of the pictures from the website, but it really is a beautiful place. So we're kind of thinking, you know, cider, unfortunately, for better or for worse, is associated with a, a fairly cheap and nasty uh, connotation of kind of people knocking back cans and or knocking back pints with ice cubes. You know, we're not really doing justice here. Is cider really the pinnacle of what we can make? Or to be fair, some of the French ciders, the Normandy ciders, really are fabulous. Um, uh, but in general, I suppose, the market doesn't expect much from cider. Um, so we're kind of looking around, and I was dabbling with different types of styles of, uh, of what we could make from it. Could we do a, a, a spirit, so we did some distillation. Could we do a, an aperitif, and we made the pommel. And then I came across um, an interesting, uh, um, what was called a, a vineyard in Denmark, who was doing a nice wine. And then I kind of started to research that, and I found that there was this Canadian movement, I suppose, for want of a better term, which started in the late 80s, early 90s, on um, this, because they, they, they do a lot of ice wine in, um, in, in Canada, and they had to develop what, what they were calling ice cider. And then I kind of started to go, right, this could be interesting. This, this does do justice to the uniqueness of, of the land, uniqueness of the, of the fruit and, 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 uh, and, and of the, the place and gives us an ability to stand shoulder to shoulder with the best of beverages that can be made. So one of the things that, we, that I'm conscious of with, with Ireland is that the two drinks that we're most famous for being Guinness and whiskey, largely, and, and not so very recently, weren't made from anything that was grown in Ireland. Um, you know, for a lot of the malted barley wasn't Irish grown, and certainly most of Guinness's um, produce uh, wasn't Irish grown, just because of volumes. So, making something from Irish soil and and that is uniquely um, from Irish soil that is Irish we, it was something that we wanted to do also. So, all that context in in hand, we started to do some um, some experiments with uh, the ice cider process, and, and the and, and essentially, I suppose we went for ice wine rather than ice cider to. to Move maybe slightly away from the connotations of cider, um, which, which, when we were talking to some people, they were kind of thinking, "Is that like a cider with ice in it?" And it, it didn't really do it justice. And um, the Canadian ice cider term is um, something that they're quite protective of. Also, so we said, "Look, why don't we just call it a, a, an apple or, or ice wine?" And since our apples are rare, like our cider is also a rare apple cider, um, and and hence the rare apple ice wine project began. And um, it was a, it's been a long old road to get us. I mean, from it's, 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 we're looking at eight, nine years between the first apple being planted and the 
first class and being released. So um, we've had good time to practice. So this is a drink that you would have like a dessert wine? Correct. Um, although some of our, our um, uh, adventurous tasters have had it with everything from chicken korma to, um, uh, in fact, actually Greens, which is, um, I think, one of the better restaurants in the country. The Fiki Bunny Awards is the best restaurant in Munster. Uh, Frank, uh, the sommelier there, put it on with a portish. Um, one of the, the, the tasting um, goals with this particular ice wine is the, um, the use of acidity. Uh, someone who gave me a tip a while back is that the key with sweet wine or with ice wine isn't the sweetness, it's uh, your acidity. Um, and that was very important. But what makes our ice wine unique is that it's really the world's first commercially available ice wine that uses bittersweet apples. Now, um, the collective wisdom is that you don't use a bittersweet apple with an ice wine because your tannin levels goes, can, can be nuts. But to, put, to put it in context from an apple point of view, the, the difference between apples is, say, the difference between, say, an eating apple or a dessert apple and a, and a real West Country or, or Normandy bittersweet apple is significantly greater than the difference between a white grape and a red grape or a white wine and a red wine. So the tannin level in a really tannic bittersweet is significantly higher than the tannic level of a really tannic red wine skin, which is something that people are, are sometimes um, uh, confused or, or possibly surprised by. And another um, aspect of, of those tannins is that they can create their own flavors, which we would call phenolics. Uh, it's something that happens. It's, it's kind of like a, the expression barnyard or um, medicinal or leathery. These are, these are the type of notes that are generated from, from bittersweet. Now, in making ice wine, we're essentially concentrating up our, our fresh juice before we ferment it using a natural freezing thawing process. So then you're also concentrating your acidity and you're also concentrating your tannins. And that was something of concern. It's like, ooh, how's this going to end? But the beauty of it is, is then you have three notes and essentially it, it becomes a more complex uh, sound in that you're starting with the bright freshness of the acidity and that acidity then takes you into the, the sweetness because it, it is designed to be a sweet wine and its, its sugar content would be would be quite um, significant compared to, say, a rosé. I know that's all natural sugars, by the way. We don't add any sugar. And then that acidity then takes you to the, the tannins. And the tannins generally will finish. The, the last thing you feel is that kind of drying, astringent feeling you feel from tea or from red wine. But the, the, the acidity runs all the way through it. So you're kind of taken on a journey. And at the end of it, then you're left with this kind of just hint of, of candy flap apple and uh, the commonly used tartatan, which is something that, um, uh, that, that does actually make a lot of sense. So there's this kind of journey with it, um, and that's uh, that's one of the things that, that we're most most happy with, and that there's a, there's a lovely sense of balance, uh, and it does allow you then to answer the, the question in a very long way. It does allow it to be paired with more than just um, a simple dessert. You know, there is more flexibility in it. Although we would we would say it's it's, it's, it's there's so much flavour in it that you couldn't really drink it at, at any stage, in our opinion. Although in terms of what you serve it in it's not served in a big wine goblet is it like a sherry glass size portion that you would have uh, you would I mean dessert wines are typically served in uh, depending where you go but I mean it's generally a 50 to a 50 to 90 mil serving so a wine would be typically 125 I mean realistically I think 70 is kind of probably as much as you'd want um, 
it is, you know, it's, it's very rich. It, it, there's, a, there's a massive intensity of flavor. It's something that, you it, you know, it, it's, it's, all, it's better to taste with something because it just counterbalances and, the, you know, to use a, an architect uh, uh, ex, uh, expression, it, it sets up a conversation with, with, with something. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be drinking a bottle of it. It is in small quantities, as all ice wines typically are. I mean, a, a bottle is typically 375 mil. Um, it's not something you're going to sit there and, and, and finish yourself. Um, it's something, you know, you'd, you'd share and you'd share it over a couple of dinners. It doesn't need to be drank all at once. That's one of the things with um, with, uh, with dessert wines. There's the level of sweetness and, and in our case, the level of acidity and tannins essentially act as a preservative. We don't have to do anything with it. it it's, once we have it stable, it, it, it pretty much stays stable. You mentioned also Pomo. That's another of your products and it's a, a rare apple port. <laughs> Correct, yeah. So um, a Pomo is a, is a, it's a Normandy uh, style drink. It's 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 a, what's called a mistel, which is um, it's a mix. Which uh, so it's well, it's it we've we've turned it into more of a port. But uh, the traditional Pomo, um, which is spelled differently, uh, we had to, well we chose to spell ours a little more Irish. Uh, would be a mix of about two thirds juice and a third um, apple spirit. So it'd be that brandy or it'd be calvados, um, or in our case, we we uh, we probably call it a poutine. Um, and what you're looking for is a mix between the, um, the the juice and the sugars and the, the freshness of the juice with the, the vibrance of the spirit. Um, so we we also added a load to ferment a little bit. We use some of our ice wine techniques to give some of those back those interesting kind of. Um, creamy notes that that we get in our cider. Um, we have a we have a, uh, a common white pepper note, which which happens, and that's because of the unique is we use uh, wild fermentations, um, which is something we've developed over a while. Um, that means we don't add any yeast, um, so all our fermentations are spontaneous and natural. But what happens is then over the the period of that fermentation, which is typically nine months, we get things like malolactic um, uh, fermentation, which is something that's very important for our flavor profile it turns it's a bacterial process which turns malic acid into lactic acid now some some craft beer fans would be familiar with things like Britannomyces and lactobacillus and these are uh, bacterial colonies which, which form um, and add significant complexity and flavor um, once they're not allowed to get out of control which you know typically they don't so we wanted to include some of that in the palm oil rather than having it just the spirit and the um, and juice so there's some of that in there um, and then um, essentially we mix it and we put it into, into Irish whiskey barrels because we're just down the road from the, the, one of the largest producers, Irish whiskey producers in the world. So we have um, some barrels we put in for a year on oak and, um, and, and, and out it comes at the end. So with this one we have, um, uh, it's our first batch, quite a small batch, but we've, we've done a bit of dabbling. We also did a, a, a hedgerow pochine, which would be made from crab apples, um, a little bit of molasses in the old poutine style, uh, some of our own apples, uh, some elderflower, and then we distilled it a second time with some gorse flower. So there's a kind of a nice hay um, and elderflower note on the nose. Um, it's less evident probably in the flavor, but it's, it's in there. And then some apple apple brandy or some apple calvados, uh, which would be the French, uh, French term for it. And... Um, Mix them up and, and, and off we go. And it's something that that, that is uh, it's very interesting. Um, it was it was kind of the stepping stone to the ice wine in a way because it was one of the first of the experiments that that, that people really went, wow, that's different. I haven't had that before. What is it? Um, and 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 that's the reaction that we were looking for. Some people um, 
you know, who, who wouldn't be familiar with cider, had said, Ooh, I, I don't like cider, but I like this. Uh, and that was, that was encouraging, but the, 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 the real enthusiasm started to, to, to appear when people tasted the Pamo. And then we kind of, then we said, right, let's, let's, it's worth doing the experiment, and that's what led us on to the ice wine. But both of them pretty much have come, on, uh, come out at the same time, so we had to wait a year for the, um, for the, the, the Pamo to age. And, uh, and in that time, we were we were making our ice wine as well. Well, the company is certainly going from strength to strength whenever it comes to developing new and different, unusual products for the Irish market. If people want to get hold of any of these products, where's the best place to direct them? Um, yeah, this this is where we are at the moment. We're we're this is uh, our focus up to now. Really, has been our our mutual uh, passion, I suppose, of. of Acquiring trees, like David has done some some amazing work in sourcing um, some some of the best hair uh, burner, as they call it, to, from from Austria, and they're very hard to get. So we've got some of these amazing um, pear trees, which strangely enough grow fabulously up where we are. We planted them in England as well at the same time, and they just didn't survive. They, they just didn't like it. Um, they just the drainage is great, and and that's with loads of great pear stuff coming out. But, um, so this year now we're looking at what do we do about distribution. We're talking to a few distributors. Um, our stock, we're, we're slightly concerned that it's going so quickly, even just from word of mouth. Uh, what, what do we do? So what we kind of encourage people to do is to contact us or contact any of their local independent app licenses and say, look, guys, there's this great product that we'd love to buy. Would you, would you like to get onto these people, which is ourselves, the Kilo Orchards? Um, because we're sending out individual battles now, but it's really not what we kind of want to be doing. We want to be able to focus on making stuff. Um, and if there's a if there's a, an, an off license or if there's a, a stockist or a wine or a wine pr- provider or a restaurant that you think this would suit, and be, just let them know and say, look, guys, this is a great product. Um, maybe you, you could give the guys a shout. No, alternatively, feel free to drop us a line, and we can we can try and work something out. Um, but in the meantime, I, I'm guessing probably in the next month or two we'll. We'll try and sort out some kind of distribution arrangement that will allow the product to get to where it, it wants to be. Like I suppose our our goal isn't really to, to sell this everywhere; it's to sell it in places where it will be appreciated and and, and understood. So if we have have a, have it selling in, in, in ten different restaurants where it's it, it's going well, we prefer to do that to, um, slowly than to bang it out everywhere, run out in six weeks, and find that you know. It didn't really get to where it should. You know, we're looking to kind of build a sustainable, quality, premium product that people can look forward to. I uh, know it's going to be different every year, but also that there'll, there'll be a, a consistency in, in, in quality and a consistency in balance, which is something that we're, we're uh, you know, spending a lot of time and effort trying to get right. Well, congratulations on success to date. The web address is johnnyfalldown.ie if people do want to make contact. And it's been great to talk to you, Barry. Your official title is Booze Geek. Love that. And um, you keep us posted now of any new products coming on stream. Thank you for the opportunity. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks so much for tuning in and to my guests, Oshin Davis. Karen O'Donoghue and Barry Walsh. I'll be back at the same time next week, so until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie, voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. 
To get in touch with the best possible taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit. <laughs> <laughs>